Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. We're reading from the large print version today, which uh, is new to me, but Colossians chapter 3, and it's the first 17 verses. Living in new life. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behaviour, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilised, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace, and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives, Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Thanks be to God for that reading. Thank you very much, Paul. Well, take off the old and put on the new. It's one of the key messages, isn't it, of Christian discipleship. It's probably something that we're familiar with, a very famous passage that we're looking at. Um, but I, to start off, just to reflect on that theme, I think it's fair to say that sometimes old clothes can feel quite comfortable. So, um, do you like what I'm wearing today? No. 
Anna has tried to ban me from wearing this jumper in public. Because <laughs> it's quite old. In fact, see if you can guess how old it is. Can you get We bought this on holiday in the Lake District in 20... Any guesses? Any guesses? Yes! Well done! 2010. So this jumper is um, nearly as old as my eldest child. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's quite frayed. It's got a nice, nice hole under the arm somewhere. Probably a little bit smelly. Um, but I really love wearing it. I really love wearing it because I can put it on and it's just, it feels like a second skin. I don't have to, it doesn't feel uncomfortable. It's comfortable, it's familiar. But there are times, aren't there, where it's time for the old to go and for the new to come. Oh, so you actually say you're never going to wear that? <laughs> no, I've been back. Yeah, I thought we could have a little fire at the front of the <laughs> It's time for the old to go, time for the new to come. It's fine. Oh, that's a bit better, isn't it? <laughs> this is, is my new garment, and uh, it's, it's much smarter, much fresher, kind of presents my image in a, in a, in a better way, perhaps, in a different way. The um, thing is with new clothes, though, when you first wear new clothes, it can feel nice, but they're actually not quite as comfortable as the old, are they? They're sort of a little bit stiff, takes a little bit of time to get used to wearing them, but they're so much better than the old. And there's times in life where the old has to go and the new has to come. And that is exactly what Paul is teaching about in this passage. And this, the stakes are so much higher than just what you're wearing. This is about your life and about your character and about your whole destiny, as we've read. So we're going to get into this today and, uh, and go deeper. And I believe that God is going to reveal stuff to us as we're doing this. I was really grateful for uh, Dave's prophecy just at the end of worship there. Just believe that God wants to open those eyes, as yeah. he was saying really, and open the eyes of our heart. So this is all what this is about, so really uh, pleased for that. We know, don't we, that um, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So when we come to faith in Jesus, for many of us that, was, that happened a long time ago, for some of us it was a bit more recent, but when we come to faith in Jesus, there's a fundamental change that happens in that moment. There's something that changes fundamentally about our nature. The old person is gone, it, it, it is dead, and the new person has come, the new person created to be like God in righteousness has come and plants his spirit in our hearts. And for those of us who've been baptised, that's exactly what that ritual is all about. It's, it's, it's a, a, a physical picture of something that's happened on the inside. As we go down into the waters, we, we've died with Christ to the old, and as we come back out again, we've risen to the new. So there's something fundamental about our, our identity that has changed at the moment we become a Christian. But we still choose what clothes we wear, and it's still possible to keep the old clothes on or to put the new ones to, to take them off and put the new ones on. I don't know if you've seen the film The Matrix. Anyone seen that film? Yeah. Well, I've seen it. 
Um, carries a 15 rating, I should just say, so uh, not necessarily for everyone in the room, but um, it's a great film. And um, in The Matrix, uh, in fact, The Matrix, the storyline, I am going to give a little bit of a spoiler, so sorry about that, just a, just a heads up. But in the storyline of The Matrix, it's such a strong analogy of the gospel that when I was at university, the um, Christian Union Mission Week was basically all clips of The Matrix. Do you remember? They show clips of the Matrix and then talks off the back of it because it's such a strong gospel analogy. If you don't know the film, I'm going to sketch the, the story for you, okay? And if any big fans can correct me if I'm wrong. But in the film The Matrix, the premise is that human beings are basically enslaved by machines, okay, that we've created. To the extent that they all live in pods. Right, in these great farms of pods of human beings, our body warmth is providing energy for our machine overlords. Kind of, kind of crazy. But in order to retain control, what the machines do is they create an online world called the Matrix, which all humans are plugged into, which is kind of an alternative reality. And the thing is, is that the humans think that they're living real lives in the real world, but in actual fact, they're all slaves. It's really stark when you see the pictures of all these pods. It's kind of grim, but that's the story. But a small band of freedom fighters, led by Keanu Reeves' character, Neo, they discover the secret, and they manage to fight back, and they attempt to liberate humanity from its slavery to the machines. It's a fantastic film, it's a fantastic story, and as I say, it is a fantastic analogy for the gospel. What we can see perhaps isn't the real reality. There's something going on behind what we can see. But there's one character in The Matrix that I always remember, and it's this guy uh, called Cypher. He's one of the characters, and he's played by Joe Pantaleone, I think he's called. But he is one of the band of freedom fighters. So he's kind of one of the good guys. He's found out the truth. But after discovering the truth, what he decides to do is cut a deal with the machines and stay in the matrix. Okay? Even though he knows the truth, he is given you know, riches and wealth by, by the machines, and he chooses a counterfeit life. He chooses the fake and fleeting pleasures of the world over the truth. He chooses to keep the old clothes on. So his eyes have been opened. He knows that his real life is enslaved in a pod somewhere, but he decides, I'm just going to go with this because this is fun, I can just pretend to enjoy life. And I think if we're honest, sometimes we can be like that with our relationship with God, with our walk with God, uh, or we can be tempted certainly towards that kind of a, of a life. We know the truth, we've tasted of it, but we can still sometimes struggle to live in the light of it and wear our new clothes. We want to go back to the old ways because they're comfortable. We want to go back to the familiar things. Why do we do this? And I think human beings, we're, we're finite creatures, aren't we? We're, we're, we're limited creatures. We can lose our perspective. We can forget so easily. And often it's the concrete here and now that we can see and feel and touch in front of us. Those are the things that more influence us than the things that we cannot see. And that's the key, to, I think, to this passage, to working out what Paul is saying. We need to learn to live in the unseen world rather than in the seen world. Earlier on in Colossians, in chapter 1, Paul says this phrase, which I really love. He says, the gospel mystery that's been hidden, kept, sorry, been kept hidden for generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's 
people. He describes this message about Jesus as a mystery that's been hidden. And now it's been disclosed to the Lord's people. It's been revealed. It's like, it's like those band of people in the Matrix who, who take the pill and then they, their eyes are opened and they see the truth. Paul is like that. He's seen the truth. He's glimpsed at this hidden mystery about Jesus and about what he's done. And that's what made him live his life in the way he did. You know, Colossians is one of those letters that Paul wrote from prison. He's, he's, he's living his life in such a, such a way that he's gone to prison for his faith in Jesus. There's no, there's no way that he's turned back. There's no way that he's gone, well, okay, I'll just craft out a nice life as a Pharisee. I'll make a good living and, hey, I might, I might still honour God. No way. He's gone, no, I, I've seen something and it's changed me forever. And that's why he lived like that. So what was it that Paul had seen? What, what was it that's made him live his life in this radical, radical way? Well... Let's read again from verse uh, 1 of this passage. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on, and this is the key phrase, the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the world, you will share in all of his glory. So it's the hidden realities of heaven that is motivating Paul and that he's exhorting us to, to be influenced by and to live by. What, what is this hidden realities of heaven? What, what is heaven? What is heaven? And I guess if you, um, you, know, if you, if you look online or, or if you look in art, there's so many different visualisations of heaven. And usually, um, well, the fact is they're all feeble. <laughs> because the whole point is it's not something visual. It's not something that you can, uh, you can, you can see. But a lot of the visualisations might be a picture of the sky, maybe with some clouds, maybe with some cloudy uh, staircases going up, perhaps some pearly gates at the top, angels flying around, that kind of thing. And I know that some of these images are based on biblical imagery. But the fact is that heaven is not a place that can be seen. It's a realm that is beyond the concrete. It's a realm that's beyond the material, beyond these, these molecules and this matter. Behind this sits the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm. And we live in a world that doesn't acknowledge this very often. And, and this world is all about this. It's all about the material. It's all about the matter. And we can get sucked into that thinking. We can forget sometimes that there is a world behind. Hebrews 11, famous passage on faith. It says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. That's so key. That's, that's faith. That is what faith is. It, it, it's, it's actually knowing and seeing and believing in an unseen reality. So when you're at work, this is relevant, this can, this can affect you. Because heaven is a realm, because it's not a place, it's not up there, it's not a geographical location, it's a realm. Heaven sits behind place and matter and reality. So when you're at work, heaven is there. Heaven is, is the realm, it's just beyond the scene. So when you're you know, perhaps struggling with, with the systems in your Workplace, and you're thinking, this is broken, this could be so much better, this isn't as good as it could be. Or perhaps your boss, you're thinking, why is this person in charge of my life? Like, this is not great, I'm limited, I'm, I'm held back. 
remember that that's not all the big picture, that's not the full thing, there's more that sits behind that spiritual reality. And what's saying is, actually, in that reality, your life is hidden with Christ. When you look at the news and all you see is hopelessness and fear, there's a reality that sits behind that, which is that Jesus is the Lord on the throne and that your life is hidden with him. When you're at school and college and you don't hear much about God, but what you hear is pretty much that he's a butt of a joke or uh, that it's just a cuss or something like that. That's not the big picture. That's not the full picture. The full picture is that God is there behind the scene. That what Jesus has done through the gospel, through the story of his death and resurrection and ascension to heaven, is that he has established a new reality in heaven, a new kingdom that's unshakable. When you're faced with, 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 with difficulties or, or even the reality of death and your own mortality, then heaven is a tremendous comfort because of what the Bible teaches about what that means for us who believe in Jesus. He's going to return and take us back to him. And our lives will be, as it says here, revealed. It's not like we're going to be taken and go to a new location. It's that the reality of what our lives already are will be revealed and we brought to light. We are standing next to that throne, hidden. Our lives are hidden with him. We're totally untouchable spiritually. Totally untouchable. Our lives are, are eternally redeemed, eternally saved. You ever think that? The last year during the pandemic, Psalm 91 was a really big thing, wasn't it? It talks about God. God is our protection. Uh, we live in the shadow of his wings and his protection. And, um, you know, it's quite a big, a big psalm. But obviously, physically, some people didn't experience that protection because lots and lots of people, lots of Christians, have, have been COVID, have, have got COVID and other illnesses, and people have, have died. And, um, it's, it's not just been unbelievers that have had it. <laughs> So what's that all about? What's that Psalm 91 all about? Well, it's about this eternal protection. The psalmist is talking about the protection that God gives for our hearts and our souls. So what this means for us, I could, I could say more, we need to kind of move on, but, but what this means for us is we need to remember that scene in heaven, remember that Jesus is the victor. And what that means then for our life here is quite significant. Yeah, it says God has chosen us to be the holy people he loves. We're his representatives on earth, and that means we can live differently on earth. It means that life is basically preparation. Our, our whole life is preparation for that future reality. You know, what we see now and what's there in the physical is not the, the full picture, which I praise God for, because I don't know about you, but I'm not getting any younger, right? As, as, as life goes on, you sort of, you realise the mortality more. So isn't it wonderful to know that there's a hope, there's an eternal hope, that goes beyond this physical realm. Life is preparation. I don't know if you saw the Queen's speech at Christmas. Um, we love the Queen's speech in our house. It's all, whatever's happening, wherever the dinner's at, we always stop and pause at three o'clock, watch the Queen's speech. But um, she's a great example of this, isn't she? She's now reigned for, what, nearly 75 years. Um, but before she became the Queen, because it was always her destiny to be the Queen, um, she was schooled in the art of monarchy. Uh, she observed her father, the king. She was taught about etiquette, pageantry, things like that. She had a period of what you might call training for reigning. <laughs> yeah. I didn't make that up. Just training for reigning. And that's, that's like us. Our life is training for reigning. We are royals in training. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
and we are training for reigning. Our life, this life, is like season one of the crown for us, basically. <laughs> this life is heaven's boot camp. Heaven's boot camp. That's, that's, that's our walk as, as Christian. That's the life that we are leading. Uh, and that means that we're, we're preparing for, we're enjoying, we're cultivating, we're living in the culture of heaven as much as, as we can. That's why we pray, isn't it? You know, your kingdom come here on earth as in heaven. Because God's kingdom is in heaven and we want it to come on earth. And that's what he's given us to do as his representatives. And this isn't just about personal morality. Obviously, there's lots in this passage about taking off old practices, taking off immorality, taking off bad things, bad attitudes, and putting on kindness, love, things like that. It's not just about personal morality, although that is important too. What, what I sort of really got when I was preparing this and looking into it is I just realised that this is about relationships, actually. This is about relationships. I'm reading a really good book at the moment, um, one of my Christmas presents. It's a biography of the great polar explorer Shackleton. Right? And so this thing knows about this because he's reading about it as well. On the left there, this is Captain Scott of the Antarctic. And on the right is, is Ernest Shackleton. And now, what I didn't realise before I read the book was that in one of the earlier polar expeditions, when they were trying to reach the South Pole, they actually went on an expedition together, which Scott was leading, and Shackleton was one of his, his men on it. And there were three men that went down. They went across the ice and man-hauled this sledge to try and reach the South Pole. And it was in the worst possible conditions that you could imagine. And it was these two and another guy in a tent together. And the thing is that throughout their life, these guys were rivals. They were on a race to try and reach the South Pole. They were trying to do it and sort of outdo each other. But when they were on the ice, there was absolutely no question. They were a team because their lives depended on them. And later on, when Shackleton was recruiting for his next polar expedition, he was trying to find the right group of people that he could take with him. And he knew the qualities he was looking for. Uh, he knew that he needed a medical specialist. He knew that he needed scientists. He knew that he needed sailors and fellow explorers. People with specific skills. But being in the Antarctic wilderness before had taught him an important lesson about human relationships. And this is something that he's quoted as saying. He said that success of our work depends as much on the general attitude of the members to each other as on the work they individually have to do. In this world where there's a spiritual reality behind what we can see, the same applies to us. All of these qualities, bad and good, are all things that relate to other people. If you think about it, if you look at the list, anger, lust, um, rage, jealousy, and then on the other hand, kindness, love, forgiveness, mercy. They're all things that relate to other people. They're not just traits that we exhibit in a vacuum. They're traits that we exhibit in relation to one another. And that's the real core of what Paul is saying here. In the light of the heavenly realities, in the light of what Jesus has done in each of us in making us a new people, how we live out the culture of heaven is by doing that in our, the realm of our relationships. It's all about our relationships with one another. It's all about that unity. And you know, 
This is really important to remember because it's not about gifting. It doesn't matter what gifts you might have to bring to the table of, of church life. You know, we believe in gifting, but much far more important is our relationships with one another. And that these relationships reflect that culture of heaven. Love, mercy, kindness, patience. When we exhibit these characteristics, what happens, and this is not an exaggeration to say, when we show kindness to one another, when we are patient with one another, when we forgive each other the grievances that we might have, when we let go of things, and when we don't hold on to malice and jealousy and resentment, what happens is the gap between heaven and earth gets thinner right there. The kingdom of Almighty God, that's a reality in heaven, breaks through into our earthly reality right there. That's the kingdom of God coming right there. That's the gospel showing amazing light and glory on the earth. And sometimes it can just feel too familiar to us, this stuff. We need to remember that there's something incredibly powerful about our fellowship together, our unity together. And so, let us think about how we can do this. Let us think about how we can uh, have relationships with one another. You know, maybe in a moment we're going to return to worship. Back and wait, so you're going to come and lead us to the morning, have an opportunity to respond. Perhaps there's a chance for you to think about, about are, there, are there relationships that, that are in discord? Um, and, and it's quite normal for that to be the case because we're human beings. You know, it's not like the, the holy ones of us are all fantastic and living in perfect harmony and you're the only one who's got a grievance. The reality is more likely that most of us I've got some sort of beef with someone over something that's been said at some point. And it's really important that we cultivate and let go of that forgiving and love. So just to summarise uh, in what's in this passage, there's quite a lot. Number one, it's about taking off the old. Taking off those things. And I think practically what that can look like is, it's, obviously, it's literally stopping those practices. Stopping doing things and saying things and even thinking things that are bad. It's an application of the will, but also it can involve confession and repentance. If that you need to confess, you wanting to confess or repent before God. The second thing is it's about putting on the new. As I've done with this uh, rather dapper jacket. Forming <laughs> new practices and thoughts, cultivating a new way of thinking, a new way of relating to others, which is obviously love. The last couple of things that it mentions towards the end of the passage, which we haven't touched on yet, is first of all, it says, um, allow peace to dwell, and allow God's word to dwell in you richly. And I love that verb, allow, or, or let. It's about yielding uh, and allowing peace to dwell. Do you remember, remember the dove of peace that came with Jesus at his baptism, came and rested on his shoulder? Well, it rested on Jesus because Jesus was a man of peace and he was yielded so the dove, which is a gentle bird, could come and rest on him. The dove can't come and rest on a shoulder where there's spikiness and where there's angst. The dove will fly away, but if you are yielded, you can allow the peace of God to rest on you. And in the same way, you can allow God's word to rest in you. You're not... You're not throwing it out. You're not going, no, I don't believe that. You're going, yes, God, this is your word. I'm going to let it dwell in it richly. And obviously there's practices that we can do. Prayer, reading the Bible, meditation, 
you know, day, a daily walk which helps us do that. And the final thing, which no surprise I'm going to love, sing. <laughs> sing and cultivate thankfulness to God. Uh, that is always a good thing to do. As you sing, as you cultivate thankfulness, perhaps rather than your negative thinking, then that will help you. All of these things will help you to live out this amazing culture of heaven that God wants to build into the world.